Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Statz. Welcome to a special release episode of Board Game with Education. We love to release content and find games that you, our audience, might be interested in. So we're also going to try something a little new by releasing some extra episodes about once or twice a month related to some games that you can find on Kickstarter right now. So this episode, we had a chance to interview Aditya, talk to him about Potato Pirates. This game is super cool looking. It is a way to learn cybersecurity without computers. Now that is super awesome. Their first game, Potato Pirates, was a way to learn about the internet without computers. So I think this is a really special project and the conversation I have on the episode this week with the DTA is very special and definitely worth checking out. So we're gonna just jump right into the episode this week. Let's get going. Welcome to another episode of Board Game with Education. I'm thrilled to be joined by another game designer and founder of the company Kodomo. His name is Aditya Batura. He is the designer, one of the designers of Potato Pirates. And I'm super excited to learn more about his company and these two games, one that is currently on Kickstarter called Potato Pirates Enter the Spudnet. And before we get into the topic of the episode, I like to always share a fun fact about our guest. And our guest, Aditya, is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu heavy metal band player. Just kidding, but he, he does do Brazilian jiu-jitsu and he is in a heavy metal band. So would you mind sharing one of those with our audience? Sure. Uh, so, I mean, I've loved playing music as a kid. And it's funny because music is pretty related to the topic of games for me because music pretty much took me away from gaming because I was always gaming, you know. And yeah, so I, I basically play and so I I grew up, you know, um, listening to all sorts of different music, you know, Eastern and Western music because, I mean, I live in Singapore and eventually I just found heavy metal or maybe it found me. And then I just I've been playing in a heavy metal band since I was 14 or 15. And for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I picked it up. Um, I mean, I've always been into martial arts. I started learning karate as a kid. Uh, I got my black belt at like the age of 14 or 15. And I, so karate is a very, so a lot of uh, martial arts are con- heavy contact striking sports. I always wanted to, you know, get more into grappling and uh, jiu-jitsu was always there for me. It's, it's just that I, I never got around to it. And I once started, but I I had to go to uh, Boston for an exchange program at MIT, so I I couldn't pursue it. So I only started like actually doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu about three years ago. So yeah, that's that's pretty much my life. And whenever I'm not up to one of those things, I'm trying to create games. <laughs> really cool. It's it's awesome to learn a little bit about our guest outside of uh, either game design or education, which is what most guests are on the show for. And you are the CEO and co-founder of Kodomo, which is a game design company. Can you share a little bit more about that company and what you do there? 
Sure. Um, this is an interesting question because the the short answer is uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, actually, we're an education technology company. So the company is going to be about five years this September, and we started off solely as an education company, trying to introduce coding and design thinking and 21st century relevant skills to schools in um, to schools in Singapore. And eventually, we branched out into corporate trainings. But through you know through all our work, we realized that there were some gaps that we were we were we were most equipped with, or we were the chosen ones, you know, quote unquote, to to fill, um, because we saw these gaps. And I, I guess we took the path of gamification, and that's how Potato Pirates came about. So right now, I guess we are more a product development company. We we build educational products. So our second game is out there right now. It's it's funding live on Kickstarter. It's uh, approaching soon, approaching two hundred thousand Singapore dollars on Kickstarter, and we have about twelve more days to go. Along with that, like so, we're 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 pretty much a think tank. Uh, we have another online platform that we are developing and planning to release this year, called uh, Creativity for Humanity. And I mean, you can see the website. It's open for a close beta right now, our product, c4h.world, is really taking design thinking and creative thinking skills and gamifying that in order to... So the age-old question is, like, what is creativity? You know, and we are trying to uh, use the power of AI and combine that together with design thinking to really accelerate those two. But anyways, like, that's a little bit about, you know, what Kodomo does, and we're just trying... We're, we're just really trying to make a difference to learning and not just in education, but in learning, because education and learning are two separate things to me. And yeah, so we're really just trying to improve learning experiences for the 21st century. Really awesome. And I want to go back to how you said learning and education are two separate things. But before I do that, I did, I guess I introduced the company as a game design company, but I'm familiar with you guys through finding your game Potato Pirates online. And I did have a chance to kind of browse your website and it's really put together really nicely and you have like free resources for coding for teachers and students. And one thing I really liked and I, I didn't have an opportunity to play it yet, but I was maybe going to go back to it is the potato cracker challenge where you're, you're figuring out hashes like password hashes, right. And trying to decode the password to get on to the, yeah, I mean, essentially, it's like a Caesar cipher, but like with some twist to it. And we didn't want to make it so, you know, technically challenging that, you know, that you would have to know, you know, cryptography before, you know, jumping into it. So it's really like, it's, it's really like a riddle, you know. And if you have an ASCII table in front of you, you don't really need any uh, knowledge of cryptography to solve it. And how we're gamifying it is uh, we're actually running a $1,000 board game giveaway this month in conjunction with our Kickstarter campaign. So we're getting a lot of our backers and whoever's interested in our game, or I mean, I guess everyone's interested in $1,000 of free board games. So whoever's interested in getting that, to gain more points, you know, so the giveaway is, uh, is basically on a leaderboard basis, right? It's a leaderboard table. And you get more points the more passwords that you crack. So... That's another incentive for you to do it. So I think so far in the world, we have, we have over like 1,000 plus people who've joined the giveaway. But in, uh, out of that, I think only 
two or three of them have managed to crack all the passwords. Oh man, now I'm super excited to go back and actually play the game. I didn't know there was a could be you, you know. You have you have another yeah. two weeks. <laughs> right. And any for anyone listening that I have the URL, it's potatopirates.game backslash potato dash cracker dash challenge. So you can go play that and try to win as well. Really awesome. Well, you did mention that you think education and learning as two separate things, and I kinda I can see it. Could you maybe explain a little bit about what you mean by that? Sure. So, I mean, education is, is the formalized process of what, what we go through, you know, in order to get certified that we know this much, right? And I guess that's how we are assessed in, you know, today's modern world about, like, what capabilities we possess. But uh, learning is, and education, I mean, to most children or anyone who's been through it is not fun. Right. Cause like not, not a lot of kids out there would, or even myself, I, I wasn't always like, all right, today's Monday. Let's hit it. Let's go to school. You know, not many people are like that. And understandably so. Right. But learning is something different. And learning is something that everyone loves. Everybody, everybody's learning all the time in their own way. And it's just that in a formalized educational process, you don't recognize those learning capabilities all the time. Sometimes you, those, those, you know, uh, capabilities will uh, slip through the cracks, as you say. And that's, that's the big distinction between it, you know, because learning is something that we do all the time, like learning, you know, a new skill, a new craft, learning a new recipe, um, if, you, if you like cooking or learning anything. So I've learned a lot of what I know on my own. And that's just because, you know, I have a drive for it. And I didn't recognize these two things, you know, the, the, the big distinction between education and learning until a very, uh, pretty, until pretty recently, basically, until I, until I really got into, you know, my career with, with, with Kodomo. That's when I learned to recognize the big difference between, you know, learning and education. And every kid is, is a magnanimous learner, right? Kids learn really fast. And they may not be so. And why this is so close to home for me is because I too, you know, didn't really, I didn't really enjoy my educational experience, you know, because I wasn't always into what like what I was being taught or what I was being told to learn. And that's that's the problem for me with education, because when you take away choices, you take you you're pretty much removing a lot of motivation for kids. Right. So that was it for me, because like I was interested in learning all these different things. I was reading widely about uh, at one point in my life, I was reading about mysticism and uh, a lot of like esoteric spirituality and things like who, you know, who would recognize that as something educational, you know, in mainstream academia. But I think it's it uh, it speaks for something, you know, so we have to learn to recognize those things. Of course, that's I, I'm being idealistic here, but, you know, I, I, I just think that we need to learn to recognize uh, every child or every person. Uh, learning capabilities and and learning should happen over a lifetime not just you know in the first one quarter of your life and then you just you're done learning i think that's another negative aspect of like how education is sort of structured now because a lot of people feel like they are done with learning once they are out of school so that's yeah that's pretty much my take on that right and i 100 percent agree with you that learning is a lifelong lifelong adventure, right? I mean, I think I'm a little unique where I, I love sitting in a classroom. Like I could I could do that all 
for my entire life is go to class and learn. But, and I, I love how your company, you guys are bridging that gap in between motivation and learning. Yeah. So you first got into, you probably started uh, walking before you ran. You were first playing some games before you got into designing. How did you first get into playing in games and then what made you take that leap into game design? So I have always been a gamer, um, whether or not online or offline. So my family is really big into card games. Like by card games, I mean like poker cards. So, but it's not gambling. It's just really brainy games. Some, a lot of the names which I'm forgetting, one of which is, I think, Rummy. Rummy is uh, an, another game where, where there's a lot of probability, permutations, combinations, very strategic, right? And I grew up doing, uh, I grew up, you know, with, with these card games. And uh, eventually I started getting more into board games as well. But at the same time, I was also a gamer. Um, I, I grew up in the console generation in the, you know, mid-90s. So I, I bought my place, first PlayStation when I was, what, in uh, first grade or something. And I got it confiscated so many times because <laughs> I would never study. And it was a big part of my life. And like I said, uh, until the age of, I think, what, 13 or something, I, would, I, was, I was a hardcore gamer. And it's only because I started playing music that it took me away from gaming. But it was, it's always been a part of my life. And I mean, even on an educational front, I still remember that we had some in our old um, Pentium 3 <laughs> processor um, CPU, I remember that massive CPU we had at home. I used to be playing some educational games on it at that time, which would you know teach you basic maths and science. And I, I still remember, like, the, I can't remember a lot of what I, you know, my learning experiences, but those things are pretty fresh in my head. So I guess they, you know, they left a mark on me. That's really awesome. And then you got into game design later or is that something you kind of did as a kid that you played around with or is this something that as an adult you really took to so you know i never would have imagined that i would end up you know becoming a game designer or i would end up actually making my own games and let alone games like board games you know of all it was never part of the plan but i guess it was destiny you know or something I never really did a lot of game design, you know, per se. Like it was, I'm, I mean, I'm a degree computer scientist. So it was, it was never part of my, like I said, formal education. But I think I've always had that uh, edge to create things. I've always been very creative. Uh, I love making things. It's, I just find a lot of pleasure in doing that. And it's the same reason why I got into computer science, because not only do I love good riddles, you know, because um, solving computer science problems is really constructing your thoughts into lines of instruction, but it's also about having the power to create something beautiful. And I love that. And I love being able to create software, you know, that helps people and stuff like that. So I think it's, it's all in line with my love to create things and not just like creating music, creating software. I even, I even brew my own beer. So I'm a home brewer. So I, I, I love to create things. And I think uh, it's really just in line with my love for uh, making a game. And moreover, because it's, it's a physical product, you know, there's a lot more that you can do into the user experience of things when it's a physical product as compared to being an online game where the parameters of uh, user experience are much different. 
but I just feel like there's a lot more dimensions where you can play with when it's a physical product. And that's where I guess my background in design and design thinking comes in. And that's also the common thread that we share amongst everyone in our team, that we all have this basic, you know, common thread of design thinking or design as our, as the backbone of, of, you know, what we do in our company as a, as a whole. So I think when you put it all together, that's how, you know, Potato Pies actually came about. And that's what I want to learn a bit more about because I've looked into it and I know a bit about the game. It's the original was designed to learn fundamental computational thinking concepts and enter the Spudnet, which is now on Kickstarter is about cybersecurity. Is that right? That is correct. Where did the idea of creating a board game to think about these things come from? So, you know, people ask me this a lot and I can, for the life of me, not remember how this name potato pirates came you know how it came about but i do know like how the intention of doing something to help with this gap came about like i said we first started out just doing you know workshops in computational thinking and design thinking for school and through that we, we and we were running like holiday camps right for for students to learn you know computer science skills pick them up uh, during the holiday breaks and you know have have something more a fun way of learning during the holidays and the parents would you know love that you know they're like yeah sure this is educational daycare so so um that's how we started out and when we did that we realized that there was a few gaps and on a few fronts that we needed to fill up the first was with the kids we needed to get a buy-in you know to get them to buy into computer science and of course with tools like scratch and uh, a lot of these other gamified you know computer science or programming tools online like and like you know in, in scratch you're learning computer science through doing animations so all that's great you know but like it's it's still very i would say i guess isolated is a is a strong word but what i'm trying to say is it lacks the social interaction that we think that should should be there in learning so that's one of the things that we're trying to do the second is to get an a buy-in from parents because a lot of parents are you know not computer savvy or tech savvy so they don't really know what it means to program you know and programming is like this really it's just shrouded in mystery right like for, for someone who's not a programmer they just think like it's it's voodoo or something so that's another thing we're trying to do we're trying to you know break or uh, lower lower or remove the barrier to entry for anyone of any age or stature to learn the basics of computer science and the third is we are trying to empower educators to take charge of learning or uh, take charge of teaching computer science in their classrooms without having to rely on people like ourselves because that's what we started doing right we were going into classrooms to run computer science programs and then we just leave but we just didn't think that was sustainable so on these fronts like what we're trying to do is create a fun-filled screenless and social way of learning computer science. So we removed screens and introduced social interaction. And the best way we could do that was through a tabletop game. And that's really how this whole concept of Potato Pirates came about. I mean, we have a very long and detailed medium article about how we actually designed the game and the iterations that went through, uh, that we went through to in order to create the game. So uh, in it, we detail everything we did. Of course, Potato Pirates was in the first name we came up with. And initially, it was like archers and wizards and, you know, different things like that. And then eventually, like, it just 
we just realized that we wanted to do something very different, you know, very eye-catching and cute. Because the cute aspect of it also gets the buy-in from from uh, not just students but you know parents as well. So it was really based on all these factors that we realized that this is how we put the pieces together and you know complete the puzzle. That was my next question. How did you how did you settle on potatoes? Yeah. <laughs> Did that just pop into your head as something or was there an inspiration for that? Yeah, I mean, there are always these moments of creative sparks, right, where the most ridiculous ideas are some sometimes, you know, the most popular. And for some reason, like we all thought that this was great. Uh, why? Because, like I said, initially we had some different teams like archers and wizards and, you know, uh, knights. So like a very medieval theme to it course like uh, those are pretty i would say i wouldn't say overdone but they, those are expected of of games right like you're pretty well versed with uh, seeing those those kind of themes in games and then the other one we had was pirates and i remember i suggested pirates but of course pirates pirates pirate themed games are also pretty out there already so we want to do something unique and then we were, we were thinking of let's think of the most inanimate and boring object we can come up with and make it fun. And the first the first thing that my teammate suggested was potatoes. And then I was like, yeah, so potato pirates, it, it just flows off the tongue really nice. And and off we went basically. So that was really how it came about. Um, because we were trying to make the most inanimate, you know, unfun object. We were trying to make that fun and cute. So that's really how it started. And I love the, I guess you have some puns or you use some... Oh, we love puns. We love our puns. <laughs> you, we, we can't write, uh, you know, two lines without going through a pun. So if someone played the game, like what I love about it is you could teach these computer concepts without a computer. So what is something that someone might learn through playing the game? So, you know, Dustin, um, when I was learning computer science and I never learned code, so I was always... I was always good with, um, you know, taking things apart and I learned how to put, you know, fix my own PlayStation and all that as a kid, but I never actually learned how to code. I never learned how to code until I actually joined college when I was in my first year. What I realized that was happening was there was a huge variance in skills. Like there was a huge spectrum, right? There were, there were these computer wizards. There were whiz, whiz kids. Right, and then there were people like us who were all the way on the other side who were just starting out, and our professors had to keep up with the whiz kids and still have you know and still go slow enough so that you know us newbies could could catch up. But of course, uh, after a certain time, like it just seems to be favoring you know the the front end of the spectrum. So things tend to snowball, especially in in university and. More, more so because the university I went to, we, we follow very closely the MIT curriculum. So I went to Singapore University of Technology and Design, which was set up in collaboration with the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. So we follow their curricula very closely, and MIT's curricula isn't the most easy to go through, of course. So what I started realizing was that a lot of my peers started fizzling out. They just said, oh, whatever, this is not for me. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not meant for, you know, I'm not cut out for computer science. And there was this... There was just a few of us, like myself, like I just really enjoyed, you know, persevering because I enjoyed the beauty of problem solving. And, you know, computer science was the, the tool, the gift that allowed me to do that. 
So fast forward many years when I now am a software engineer and I understand computer science, uh, what I realize now is that what there are two there are two things in computer science, right? There's the logic and there's the syntax. So the syntax is the grammar, right? It's the parentheses, it's the semicolons, it's all those things. It's it's jargon, right? It's mathematical jargon that we have to go that we have to understand in order to write code coherently. If you miss out a bracket here, a parenthesis there, um, you know anything, your your code will crash, right? And at the same time, there's logic. Logic is the loops, it's the conditional statements, it's function calls, it's all those things. It's the sequential logic, it's the sequential execution of programs, it's all those things. But the logic, from what we have understood through you know this game development process, is rudimentary. The logic can be understood by a six or seven year old without any problem. Like a six year old can understand the concept of a for loop or a while loop or an if or an if else you know or any other like switch case you know all those logic uh, logical statements can be understood very easily by a six or seven year old. What puts people off is the syntax, right? The syntax really puts people off because you're trying to understand the logic at the same time you're grappling with the syntax. So it just becomes an exponential learning curve. And that's what puts people off from learning how to program. Of course, with the block-based programming interfaces, that's exactly what they're doing. They're taking away the syntax and you just focus on the logic. So that's exactly what we are trying to achieve with Potato Fires. Um, with an added front that we want this to be the universal first step into the world of computer science for anyone, regardless of age or language. By language, I mean spoken and programming, because <laughs> the, lo the logic that we are covering in Potato Pirates is really universal, and that's why we have, like you mentioned, we have those learning guides and ebooks on our website, because once you learn how to play the game, we give you those learning guides and ebooks in a language of your choice, and yeah, you'll be, you'll be basically learning the, the basics of those languages in the syntax of those languages, but it will be all built upon what you learned in the Potato Pirates game. So essentially, again, like just to wrap it up, we are what we are trying to do is to remove syntax, only focus on the logic, and then introduce syntax once you have understood and uh, become familiar with the logic. And what we are seeing is that this supercharges the learning process of computer science. That's really awesome. I saw that you have some statistics on your website too about the number of or percentage of students who are more interested in coding and confident in coding as well yeah so actually for that we do so we, we go into a lot of schools to do training programs and not just in schools we uh do we we run potato pirates workshops in corporate trainings and also with with the singapore government right with some of the singapore government offices so now what we are learning and understanding from that is, so we run a pre and post survey, right? And uh, what, what the statistics published on the website are from, are from that sample size. And we have like the sample size is about, I would say 2000. And it ranges from six, seven year olds all the way up to uh, mid fifties and perhaps even some in the sixties. What we are seeing is so we give them a pre, pre-assessment and a post-assessment. In the pre-assessment, we ask them things like, what is the Boolean statement? What is the for loop? Why do you use a function? You know, things like that. Like a simple seven 
multiple choice questions, right? And we do the same, well, almost similar questions at the end of it, together with asking them, like, what is their interest in programming? So we ask them, what is their interest in computer science and programming before and after? And we also ask them, like, bonus questions of, like, how do you run a for loop? Or rather, how do you run a loop and in a conditional statement or something like that? So what we're seeing through our results is that like exactly what's published on the website is like over 80% of our participants are showing a remarkable improvement in understanding of fundamentals of computer science. So like I said, this is not just kids, but adults as well. So we are seeing about 80 to 90% of students and adults understanding or grasping the fundamentals of computer science in just about one hour to 90 minutes without any computer. So I think that's fascinating. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's super awesome. And you have the game on Kickstarter or one of the games. So you have Potato Pirates, which is, I guess we, we would say maybe it's the original. Yeah, so the Potato Pirates original, the first one, Potato Pirates 1, if you want to call it, is what was released in September of 2017. It's gone on to win a bunch of design awards. We won the Singapore Good Design Award, the Japan Good Design Award, and the Core 77 Design Award runner-up for the educational category in 2018. We've also been very honored to be featured in really big publications like Forbes. So Forbes wrote about us just last month as one of the best STEM tools for kids. And uh, we, we got featured by Smithsonian, by Purdue University, by the Wall Street Journal also, like citing us as good uh, STEM tools. So we've been very honored to, to get the nods or a tip of the hat, you know, by all these people who really mean something in the, in the computer science industry. And enter the SpudNet, what kind of game is that for anyone that is familiar with hobby board games? How would you describe that game that's on Kickstarter now? So with Enter the SpudNet, which is our new game, and it's out on Kickstarter right now, uh, we are trying to explain what exactly the internet is. And we're trying to get across the concepts of cybersecurity with the board game. So the SpudNet is the Potato Pirates version of the internet. And instead of uh, packets and data and wires and cables and computers, we're using harbors, warehouses, ships, and potatoes. So basically your ships have to deliver goods to potatoes and the first to deliver all five of your, the first to pick up all five of your orders is the winner, the first player to do that. But essentially what, what happens in the game is a visualization of how data travels on the internet because every node on the map represents basically a, a node on the internet. It, it represents a server. And your ships are actually representative of data packets that you're pushing out to clients and your the the orders that you're picking up are client requests that are com coming through on the internet and of course the game is both cooperative and competitive where you can use abilities like firewalls denial of service there's there's a lot so i don't want to go through all of them but there are a lot of cyber cyber relevant ability cards that you can play to either stop people from winning or get ahead from the competition yourself so it's a fun-filled adventure for learning the basics of cybersecurity and internet safety and data visualization and really understanding what it means 
to be on the internet because to a lot of people the internet is a black box right so you just get on your phone the phone has internet and you search something on google and it's just brought to you but people don't really understand how it is that you know this data is moving and how it is that data gets compromised and how it is that we can be safe on the internet so essentially we are trying to cover all these fundamentals through a board game and that's pretty much what the second game is about and google is not some guy behind behind a desk that sends out the answers to our questions like that commercial right <laughs> awesome dts thank you so much for the insights we're going to move into the final segment but before we do if i'm a parent and i want to maybe learn a bit about coding or help my kids learn a bit about coding or i'm a teacher maybe and i want to bring this into my classroom i would suggest maybe this is my suggestion is picking up the game potato pirates um, what is that next step you might give as a tip after like playing the game? How would you, what would you suggest doing after that? So it really depends on context, on the age group, and what you're really trying to achieve, right? Because this is the age-old question of which language should I learn, and you know what stack should I pick up, and all that. Um, there's no, I mean, honestly, there's no right answer to it. But that's a great question because we, even for the first game, we offer not just learning resources for people, but we also offer like a 12-hour curricula for, for um, teachers to use it, all with lesson activities planned out for, for using Potato Pirates and how to get the most out of the game. Even with the new one, with the new game, we have classroom bundles. So we have a set of six that uh, educators can pick up directly from Kickstarter. And with the classroom bundle, you get, you get the classroom uh, curricula included for free if you're you know if uh, an educator is not going for a classroom bundle if they just want to pick up one you can still um, add it on it's a very inexpensive add-on to get into the spudnet curricula together with the game so we are trying our best to really pave the way for you know what should be the next step in order for um, someone to get the most out of our game so so far that's what we have and typically we are either using Scratch or Python. So so we think that Python is very universally applicable language and it has one of the easier syntax to understand and it's open source, it's easy to get off the ground. Uh, a lot of times we use Python for that for that purpose, but of course like that's just because it's easy for us to deploy it wherever we go because a lot of times when we're doing workshops, we're like a traveling circus. Yeah, so Python is a great... Uh, resource because it's uh, it's got great support it's uh, it's always being updated and it's universal it's it's arguably the most popular language on the internet and i mean even as a career choice it's it's very good because like python engineers are always in demand really awesome i think that's a great or that is some great advice for parents and teachers all right so we're going to move into the final segment this is a thumbs up thumbs down Quick lightning round. <laughs> this is what I'm Still. actually nervous about. <laughs> hey, don't be nervous. <laughs> it's, it's very lighthearted and fun. So okay, sounds good. I'll give you I'll give you a statement, and then you'll say thumbs up, 
because you like it or thumbs down because you really don't like it okay. or you just don't prefer it and then can, a I, brief... can I give you a shaky hand if it's in the middle uh, <laughs> no nah, i'm joking there have been guests who have done that so i wouldn't <laughs> i wouldn't be mad but <laughs> okay, try sure. i guess try to go I'll play with down. You. all right and then a brief reason why sure all right so the first one because your game theme is or the characters in your game are potatoes Potato chips or eating potato chips while playing board games. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Definite thumbs up. I mean, what else would you do when you're waiting for other people to make their, you know, make their move? Because the people I play with are super indecisive. So, <laughs> so you got to keep busy. <laughs> but I mean, on, on the flip side, the thumbs down is, of course, because it gets messy. But I'm willing to take those risks and, you know, clean up after myself before I make my next move. So thumbs up for that one. All right. Uh, the next one is board games on your phone. Ah, that's um, that's a tough one. I have played Pandemic on my phone. I'm gonna give it a thumbs up, and that's only because I feel like the people who play it, it, it gets it gets a good outreach by having it online. And I've even played uh, Steve Jackson's very really old game with the tanks. I think it's called Ogre or something. And now Steam also supports tabletop games, you know, to be put on, to be put on uh, online. And I think it just gives a nice exposure to the game because otherwise, it's like, how do you get exposure for your board game? It's it's only through like word of mouth or through advertising that you get that. And it's a much easier way to, of getting tabletop games in the hands of the people. And if they are interested enough, I guess they will then convert to actually playing the game, you know, offline. And why I took a while to say a thumbs up was because, you know, when you're playing it online, you're not really getting the full experience. So I wouldn't want to mislead people into as to what to expect when when they're playing, you know, uh, tabletop games. But I think overall, I think it's a good use of technology. Right. Yeah. The, the extra reach is definitely yeah definitely beneficial. All right. The next one, Pirates of the Caribbean movie, like the series. Um, I will give it a thumbs up, but I'm not a big fan. But I think the character of Jack Sparrow is just really funny. I like, I mean, I, I like anything pirate related. So, but I, like I said, I'm not, a, I guess, I guess I'm also a little counterculture to say, you know, in a, way, in a way that I don't, I don't always appreciate the really commercial things out there because I feel like people just associate, you know, Pirates to Pirates of the Caribbean, but like for for myself, like I I nerd out on piracy and pirate culture, so I don't appreciate people just thinking that pirates, you know, pirate or pirate culture is all you know encapsulated and represented by the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. But uh, overall, like I would give it a thumbs up. Very Hollywood is that's that's all pirates. Yeah. <laughs> all right, and then we'll do the last one: online multiplayer video games. Oh man, this has to be a thumbs up. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so um, the latest craze in our office. So I was I was one of those kids who grew up playing Counter Strike 1.6. Um, if you're familiar with that, Dustin. I've never really gotten into games like I said properly. Like I I've never really properly been in, into games in the past almost 10 years of my life. Like the the one time that I was really into games. So. I, I always get into games when it's at the wrong time. When I was in my final year of high school, so we, we followed the British system, so I was doing my A-levels, 
and like just before my A-levels, which is really like the make or break exam of your career. I was literally stealing my friend's PlayStation Portable to play Madden, <laughs> to play NFL on it. So like, and, and after that, when I went into the army in, in Singapore, we have to do two years of military service. So I was perpetually bored in the army. So that's when I actually brought in my PlayStation Portable. By then I bought my own and uh, brought in my PlayStation Portable into camp. I will neither confirm or deny whether it was legal or illegal to sneak in that device into my camp, <laughs> in my army camp, but I did. And like those were like, these are my last memories of playing, playing you know, any sort of game religiously. And recently, like we've had this resurgence in our team, in our office of playing uh, Counter-Strike on, on Steam. And, and I don't know why, like this bug has just suddenly been picked up, but we, we've been off it for a while because of the Kickstarter campaign and everything. But uh, I think it's a great way to uh, have team bonding activities and like the adrenaline rush is real, you know? Like, <laughs> so I, I do martial arts and I compete and all that, but like the adrenaline rush that I feel when I play, you know, multiplayer, uh, massive multiplayer online games is really the same as when, you know, you're you're fighting for your life with someone. <laughs> I love online multiplayer games, but I I have to be playing with someone I know. I won't enjoy it as much if I'm just in a group of online strangers. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't cut it. In fact, even so, so to me, like the, the the entire experience is only. So here's the thing, right? Here's the funny thing, because with board games, the best part is that you uh, you get that physical interaction, right, with other people. And with even with online multiplayer games, to me, the laptop or your computer is really just a means. It's an avenue for you to have that same connection with that same person. So I wouldn't play, you know, an online multiplayer game if I was not in the same room as that other person, because you cannot you cannot have that same physical experience with that person, right? Because we shout and scream at each other. We literally have to close the doors and shut all the windows before we ever have a gaming session in our office. And it's just a beautiful experience to watch because like everyone gets so into it. And you would not have the same experience if you were not, you know, in the same room as everyone else. So I'm not, I'm not saying that you should never play, you know, online multiplayer games remotely. But of course, like, but to me, the best experience is always when you're face to face with that person. And it's, it's funny that like now that I think about it, like that's very similar to, you know, why board games are so good for, for learning, you know? So yeah, it all, I guess it all ties in. Awesome. Well, Aditya, thank you again for your time and sharing a bit about how you design Potato Pirates. I think I'm really excited for your campaign and I'm wishing you the best of luck. So thank you again. Thank you so much, Dustin. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on the show and thank you so much for having me. It's, a, it's, it's an honor. Thank you for listening in this week. If you like what you heard, be sure to let us know. You can find us on social media as Board Gaming with Education or BGE Games, or email us at podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. If you want to support our podcast, be sure to check out our support page on our website. As always, teach better, learn more, and most importantly, play more. Thank you for listening, and until next time.